Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's show, I just want to thank the sponsor. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure of serving. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. Well, today I'm very excited to have joining us uh, Nathan Struble. He is a church planner with the Eastern Michigan Conference of the Free Methodist Church, actually where Blue Water Free Methodist Church is a part of. Uh, been a long-time member of uh, BWFMC as well, but he's also bivocational and works in hospice care. So I just want to welcome uh, Nathan to the show. Thanks, Joel. It's good to be here today. Well, let's just uh, get right into it. I'd love for you just to share a little bit about uh, your background and what you felt your call to be a pastor was. Oh, goodness. My background. Well, I've uh, lived here in the Port Huron area community for most of my life. Um, my wife, Andrea, and I were married 16 years ago tomorrow, actually. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we were married in this church, although it was at a different location. It was the Marysville version of the Blue Water Free Methodist Church. And, uh, you know, as far as my, my call to ministry, I, I always knew and sensed that the Lord wanted to do something through me when I was growing up as a young boy uh, in the church. I don't have a a huge redemption story saved out of the, the clutches of evil, as, as some people do. Um, my story is more of one of growing up in the church and, and figuring out what what that means as an adult. And um, so honestly, um, my wife and I were not all that interested in following the Lord after we were married. We decided to part ways from each of our family's churches to find our own way, and in so doing, found ourselves a little on the lost side. And it wasn't until life seemed to hit rock bottom that we did what we should have done in the first place and sought the Lord uh, for our lives. And through that process and talking with uh, uh, respected leaders and people of influence in our lives, including the current pastor at that time of the Blue Water Church, uh, Pastor Richard George, um, it became quite evident that the Lord um, didn't just want me to do something with my faith, but that he wanted me to be involved in, in ministry and ordained ministry to people um, in some way. Um, it became quite evident during that time of seeking. And so Andrea and I, uh, my wife Andrea and I, decided, okay, um, let's take some steps and figure it out. And so we, we became a part of the, for a second time, became a part of the Blue Water Free Methodist Church and um, started ministry education and training and, and prayer and time on our knees seeking the Lord. And that led us to pastoral ministry, where we uh, we led two different churches in the East Michigan Conference. We moved to South Florida to help some friends of ours plant the church, and now we're back in the community, focusing our our effort and energy on on church planting. So, can you share just some of those experiences, even from those early pastoral opportunities you had? Um, even through your time of leading up to ordination and then those first couple churches and even that church planning in Florida, 
Um, what were some of the things that you were able to gather about figuring out being a pastor? Yeah. Um, some things of uh, noteworthy to us early on was we were we seemed to be the people that uh, we were handed a blank slate <laughs> and didn't really have a whole lot to go off of when we when we first came back here to the Blue Water Free Methodist Church there there was no youth ministry mm. that was early 2011 um, recently at that time the associate pastor at that time had started meeting I think it was Wednesday nights um, and that had gone on for a few weeks, maybe a couple months. But other than that, there was no such thing as youth ministry at Blue Water Free Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. And so we were given the task to go ahead and be youth pastors and, and figure that out, d- sort of design what the ministry looks like for the church. And so with having nothing, no historical basis of what that looks like, um, we we sought the Lord. We did a lot of trial and error, figuring out the days that worked best, the times, how to relate to the students, mm-hmm. how to relate to their parents, how to build those relationships. Um, those were all things that were pretty um, pretty formative in our early ministry days. Is having a blank slate and no. No true um, guidance on what to do and what not to do. Just Mm -hmm. seeking the Lord and making mistakes and learning from those. Um, And then when we went to our first pastorate as as lead pastor, it was in the East Michigan Conference, but it was in northern Michigan, about a half an hour outside Alpena Mm -hmm. in Hillman, Michigan. We pastored the Pleasant Valley Free Methodist Church. It was a church of uh, 10 people when we arrived. Uh, Our first Sunday, there was 14 people, four of which was our family. And I asked the delegate, the the lay leadership at the church, uh, multiple times, what what have you done in the past? I didn't want to change things too quickly, and I wanted to honor that. And the lay leader thought about it. And consistently told me, Pastor, I'm not going to tell you what we've done in the past because we are a church of 10, and if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't have been a church of 10. (laughs) So you tell us what to do, and we'll do it. And so once again, we sort of had a blank slate with, uh, there was a history there, but we didn't know what it was because no one would tell us. and so we had a blank slate again and had to once again get down on our knees and seek the Lord and ask for his guidance in figuring out how do we design this ministry? How do we build relationships mm-hmm. with people? How do we develop leaders in this community and in this context? And thankfully, that was something that we had already done here with the youth ministry at Blue Water um, when we launched that back in 2011 early 2012 Mm -hmm. by then Um, so that was that was quite helpful for us and and it really helped to shape the ministry that the lord had led us on up to that point Mm -hmm. and then 
just kind of give us an overview then what has led you to now where you are today. Um, you know, I, in a few minutes, I want to kind of focus in on a combination of talking about your current role with hospice, um, but also related to church planning as well. But what eventually brought you uh, here to where we're sitting right now? Wow. Well, there's a there's a couple things that have really brought us to where we are currently today. As early as 2015, we were pastoring the Pleasant Valley Free Methodist Church. The Lord had this message on my heart. I don't know if message is the right word. Vision, message, had this desire on my heart to see not just the church be the church as in one location, and we invite people from all these various smaller communities, but to see the church go to those communities and sort of have satellite campuses, have multiple campuses all within the larger region. Um, and that was something that, that was heavy on my heart. And I talked with our superintendent at the time, and um, it just wasn't something that materialized. We moved to our next church where we uh, pastored the Owasso Free Methodist Church, and once again, had the same style of vision of the church going to the communities and in some fashion having satellite campuses, having multiple communities of people, uh, all sort of under the same church umbrella, um, meeting various days of the week, whatever worked best for that community. And... Um, and so once again, talked with conference superintendent, and fabulous idea just didn't come to fruition. And we, uh, we eventually moved to South Florida, Cape Coral, Florida, right next to Fort Myers, in June of 2019 to help some friends, some friends of ours plant a church. And that was not a free Methodist church, and... Um, so a few things happened in that en endeavor. Um, the main thing was is six weeks after we moved there, uh, I found myself needing a, a different job. My employment was falling through. I wasn't necessarily on staff at that church, um, so it wasn't the, the church's fault. But I, I found myself needing new employment, and I could not find a job looked everywhere, high and low, online, I followed up like a champ. Just every single door of opportunity that was open that led us to South Florida had in one fall swoop closed. And there was nothing anywhere that was able to support a family. And so we, we had to start using our savings account to live on, to feed our kids. Um, we pretty much lost everything in about four or five months. Uh, anything that we had, possessions in the house, money, any kind of financial resources were gone. And so that was devastating. And we moved back here to Michigan and stayed with family. It was the week of Thanksgiving 2019. It was roughly six months to the day that we had um, moved to Florida. And... So that led me to needing to take on any kind of work I could to to provide for my family, right? So I, I took a job driving a residential trash truck here in the city of Port Huron and surrounding communities. 
And that led me to coming in contact with so many people on my truck who were searching for some sort of hope, mm-hmm. searching for some sort of fatherly presence. And of the people that were on my truck during that time, the vast majority of them had been incarcerated at some point in time. Many of them had witnessed murders that happened while they were in jail or prison. And the the one common link that I found with all of these people I worked with was when they were growing up, maybe as a child, a teenager, or even young adult, they had experienced a very significant loss in their life. Hmm. And that that coupled with not having a community to support them, whether it be through family, a faith, uh, a faith a community, schools, um, whatever the case may be, they didn't have support that they needed. And it led them down a path where they made very bad decisions. And now they're on my truck. So I was able to, to minister to these men, these young men, uh, and to be a, a dad and to be a, a Christian presence in their life and uh, give them a hug when they needed a hug and give them a kick in the pants when they needed a kick in the pants and just being a, a loving support for them. And I, I believe that that I was very much in a position where I was the church to these people, even though we were not in the four walls of a church. Mm-hmm. We, we did church on that trash truck, and, and we did it to the best of our ability, and I thank the Lord for that season of my life. Um, even though I wasn't pastoring in a church, I was pastoring people mm-hmm. and shepherding people. And uh, so that brought us to a point where we, we realized, even more so, we realized in a very practical sense that there's nothing wrong with a church with four walls and an address and a, and a platform and, and pulpit. Th- those are wonderful things. Those are great things. We, we honor those things tremendously. Um, but it's not the only form of church that, that is effective mm-hmm. in this community and, and in, in this region. And so we continued to walk with this idea of what is the Lord calling us to do? What is the, what does the Lord want us to do next? Uh, we're not done in ministry. We're not. We don't necessarily. Uh, we don't. We haven't had our voice taken away from us. Um, so what does it look like? And we continued to sort of connect the dots. Continued to pray. Continued to seek the Lord, and it just became a. a very evidently clear that the Lord was was combining all of this together, this idea to see different communities of people come together to talk about Jesus, but not necessarily in the four walls of a church, although if they want to, that, that's perfectly fine, that's great, and we support that. Uh, having the church, which is us, go to these people where they're already doing life, where they already have... Uh, habits. They already have processes in their lives, in their weekly rhythms of their family schedule, uh, going to those people and those families where they're at and helping them figure out through building relationships, 
how do we take what we already have built and is working in our life, our, our rhythms of life, and we'll add Jesus to it. How do we worship Jesus in that setting? And so all of that combined has brought us to where we are today, which is focusing on mm-hmm. that type of a, of a ministry. Mm-hmm. And so now how to... What's that dynamic looking like now? So you've uh, you're participating as a church planner with the East East Michigan Conference, but now you're also you know still working your job in, in hospice care. Um, you know there's going to be some compatibilities. You know both of them are a ministry unto their own. So talk a little bit about the dynamics of some of that, and also what ministries look like in hospice care. Um, maybe for those who maybe aren't familiar with what hospice care ministry would look like as well. Yeah. So uh, to back up. 18 years or so. Um, I'm also licensed as a physical therapist assistant and I was driving the trash truck and and it was it was tough work. It was physically demanding and I I saw a job opening for a physical therapist assistant. It would have been the end of 2000 and um, so I applied for that job and uh, they gave me the job so I started uh, working in physical therapy again, the end of 2021, and uh, for McLaren uh, Health Management Group. And uh, so I was doing that job and just being someone who was a Christian, just being a, a regular guy that talks about Jesus to my coworkers, testifies to the Lord's goodness in my own life. And uh, I was actually in a car accident at work, which was fairly significant and uh, the doctors would not let me return to work in that capacity. So the hospice branch manager at the same McLaren Health Management Group in Port Huron called me at home one day and asked if I would be interested in working with hospice um, as their bereavement coordinator. And so I said yes, because I needed the job, and then I had to look up, well, what does a bereavement coordinator do? <laughs> because I didn't know. Um, I, was, I, I, was, I had somewhat of an understanding of what hospice did, uh, cares for people in their end-of-life journey, but beyond that, I didn't know. And so I, I, I accepted the job. I transitioned from home care and physical therapy to hospice and bereavement And so now what my role is, is I oversee our bereavement programs for uh, Wayne County, Macomb County, St. Clair County, Sanilac County, and parts of Huron County. And so when someone has experienced the loss of a loved one on our hospice services, I am the person who follows up with the friends and family members of that person walks with them in in their grieving, guides them along their way, and and really uh, what it amounts to is sort of shepherding people on their journey. And um, so I don't necessarily uh, proselytize and push Christianity on people, although there is a fair share of people who I work with who are Christian already, and so we are able to have faith-based conversations but I, I typically allow the person I'm working with to initiate that conversation rather than me initiate mm-hmm. that. Um, so ministry in that type of context uh, really involves sort of being a pastor to the staff, the mm-hmm. staff who is out in homes 
with people, with crying family members, the, the devastating losses that they have had even before their loved one was signed on to hospice, uh, making sure that I'm being a support for my teammates that are on the front lines, mm -hmm. praying with people on the team who need someone to pray with them, giving a hug when they need that. Um, we also did a service uh, last year. It would have been December of 2022. We called it Sacred Spaces. We partnered with a local businesswoman in downtown Port Huron, and we offered this service for our staff, not for the community, but for our staff, offered this uh, service as a, a, a space and a place where people could come into the presence of the Lord and through a guided, not really a liturgy, but, but somewhat of a liturgy, uh, a guided process to, to seek the Lord and find healing from all of the things that they have endured in their personal lives, as well as professionally, all of the, the little hurts that they accumulated um, over the years. And especially last year in 2022, coming out of COVID was really difficult for home health care workers, hospice workers. And so that was a very, very meaningful time for our staff um, and something that we look forward to figuring out how can we do that moving forward. Um, additionally, my, my role in bereavement, hospice bereavement, really gives me a unique situation to have my ear to the ground in the community, to be keenly sensitive to and aware of what are the true needs of the community. Hmm. And I think that is where church planting really rings true to me mm -hmm. and where this all connects with my role with hospice, my, my nine to five job. Um, so often in the past, myself included, when I was uh, pastoring churches, was we, we meet together as leaders and we figure out how do we create programs that will have value to people in the community how do we structure our ministries throughout the week so that people in the community can be a part of it? And, and we're sort of inviting people from the community to come into this structure and into this programming that we have created. And, and I want to be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The, the position that I have been taking because of the path that my life has been on especially in my hospice role, is being a very, very good listener of what the community is saying, a listener of what are the needs in the community. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, based on what people tell me and what I perceive as the needs, taking that and using that to come up with a plan, how do I help meet that need mm -hmm. with the love of Jesus? Where do those two combine and intersect? And that's where I'm working on infusing myself into the community and investing my time and energy and effort. Yeah. So you've, you've talked quite a bit about things that begin relating to church planning, but then also programming within the, you know, the existing church as well. Um, 
so how you know having had that ear to the ground um you know and i'm guessing these are things that you're working and trying to implement and have part of the church planning what are things that even kind of your what pe- people normally think of or understand as church because uh, you reference that related thing, setting up programming and inviting the community in so maybe what are some things that churches and ministries can consider um, that that would make those opportunities more integrated with the community uh, instead of seeming like just another thing that people are being invited to? Because I'm guessing that's what you're getting at. Um, and, you know, instead of looking at this other thing coming in, it's seeing as something that's kind of maybe organically being a part of a part of the community. Maybe you, could you speak to that? Maybe what some of that looks like, or specifically in your context, if not kind of generalized principles. Um, yeah, so I, I th- I'm not sure that there is one answer per mm-hmm. se, and, and the reason I say that is because if, if I were to definitively say and stand on this is uh, sort of the take that I have, then I think that would really be me making a little bit of, of an assumption of what mm-hmm. other people's perception is so to to bring it personally uh bring it home to myself and my family uh being a a pastor but not necessarily pastoring a church we've sort of had a foot in both worlds Mm -hmm. a world of church leadership and leadership in christian ministry as well as a foot in uh, a person who isn't in church leadership but they're just uh, I, I don't want to say just as in minimizing it, but they're sort of part of the congregation of a church. Um, and so what what our personal experience is, and this is just a perception thing, is it it feels like sometimes for people who genuinely want to do better in their life, they want to have a, a connection with God, uh, they want, you know, those Christian things. They want the, to have the fruit of the Spirit take root and uh, flourish in their life. Um, sometimes I think people will church shop, so to say, based on which church is offering stuff that fits their life. Because if if the church has a, a menu, if you will, of these are the programs that, that we have and can offer... Um, then if me as a, as a husband, as a dad, as a full-time employee, as someone who wants to be involved in the community, attend youth events just to be a, cheer, a cheering section for, for kids, if, if I want to be a part of a church, but I can't figure out how to readjust and recalibrate all of my life's activities, my Sunday through Saturday schedule, to be a part of that church... Well, then I'm not really allowed to be a part of that church just because that's what that church is offering. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I, I want to be clear. I am not saying that that is wrong. Every church has limitations and every church, uh, let me rephrase that, no church can and no church should try to meet every need of every person in the community. You, A church has to have some sort of boundaries, some sort of programs, right? An established church, they have to have that. And that's a good thing. But I have found this, this calling, this, this desire, this need to, to reach those people that 
maybe don't necessarily fit into that box mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Maybe they've had some experience in the past that wasn't super great. Maybe they just their schedule genuinely doesn't allow them to be a part of a of a traditional church model. Um, again, for whatever reason, there could be a long list of those. Um, I, I think those people are are saying no to the church, not because they don't want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world, mm -hmm. but because they can't allow their family's schedule and rhythms mm -hmm. to be dictated by what the church, the traditional church, can offer. Mm -hmm. Again, not a bad thing, but it is significant. And a reality. Yeah. And a reality, yeah. Yep. So, so those people are saying no to the church, not because they don't want to be a part of it, but just out of necessity. But what they haven't said no to is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we're figuring out how do we mm -hmm. be nimble in creating different communities of people within the community, a storefront, a Starbucks, a person's living room, backyard, whatever the case may be, school, classroom, whatever it is. How do we take Jesus, how do we as the church deploy to the communities mm -hmm. in those types of ways so that we can uh, accommodate mm -hmm. people and families in their natural rhythms of life? Mm -hmm. Well, there, there's so much more there I'd love to be able to get into, but we're uh, getting close to the end of our time here. Uh, there is a Spurgeon quote I love. He talks about cool. living in the Bible but reading many good books course you know through the power of the holy spirit we're transformed by the by the word of god but what have been one or some of those good books that you've just greatly appreciated yeah the the book that i think was was most uh formative for me in the last handful of years there's two one of them is love does um i forget the Bob author Goff. yeah that's yep. it that's the guy I, I knew as soon as you said it i would yeah. yeah love does we um we have to be doing. We have to be doing something. We can't earn our salvation, but if we love people, then we have to do something. And the other book, the the one that was, as I've read it three times, I'm reading it through the fourth time right now, is titled 8 to 15, The World is Smaller Than You Think. And it talks about the principle of oikos. That all of us have between 8 and 15 people that we already know we already have a connection to, and those 8 to 15 people trust what we say. Mm. Those are the people that is the world that we read in the Bible, W-O-R-L-D in English, oikos. Those are the people that the Lord has sent us to, 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 to talk about Jesus to. Mm. And every person has an oikos. It's 8 to 15 people, and we're looking at operating through the oikos principle mm. moving forward. Mm. Oh, that's a awesome principle. Definitely some awesome books. Those books are going to be linked in the show notes uh, for you to be able to find out. You know, with enough oikoses, you can find Kevin Bacon eventually. And, <laughs> there you uh, go. You know, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon there. But uh, Nathan, thank you so much for taking some time uh, to share about your pastoral journey and what you're currently doing, both with in the hospice world, but then also in uh, church planning in uh, in new communities. Yeah, thank you for having me, Joel. It's been an honor and a blessing. Well, I want to also thank the sponsor for this show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. You can find us wherever podcasts are found, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, you name it. 
we are on it. Please subscribe so you know when episodes come out every single Wednesday. And if you also can leave a review, it can help other people find this podcast and maybe it'll be a benefit and an encouragement to them. Our, our hope, our mission, our goal is to encourage those who are interested, who are seeking, or are already in pastoral ministry by hearing the stories of those who've gone before. So we look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, share this uh, uh, episode with your family, share it with your friends, maybe share it with your pastor. And we'll see you on the next episode of Pastor's Call. Bye.